Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another brand new episode of The Casual Criminalist. As always, I am your host, Simon. And in this one, uh, what, what happens here is Callum writes me a script, which I have in front of me right now. If you're watching this show, you can see it. If you're just listening on the podcasts, well, you can probably hear it. And, uh, well, yeah, you get like almost the whole experience. This is The Lead Masks of Vintian Hill, which uh, Callum, the writer on today's channel, uh, on this channel, put together. I'm going to read it. I'm going to add some thoughts if I have any. <laughs> and uh, Jen afterwards is going to sprinkle in some fine little musical bits and pieces and graphics and images that make everything look and sound rather lovely. So let's just do it, shall we? We've covered quite a few mysteries so far on this show, ranging from the mundane to the bizarre. But today, we've got one so weird it blows uh, right off the end of that spectrum. This strange tale from Brazil began with the routine discovery of two dead men on a hillside, but soon spiraled out into a wild web of UFO sightings, secret societies, and shady underground dealings. And uh, as always, I I know Callum's also quite skeptical. I'm pretty skeptical as well. So uh, I'm, I'm going to imagine that there aren't any UFOs. However, I believe, uh, if you don't know, if you're new here, if you're new to me, I have a few YouTube channels where I cover uh, lots of facts and interesting educational historical stories. I vaguely remember making something about this from a few years ago. So I have like a vague recollection of this story as some dudes on a hill wearing lead masks or lead, lead, lead eye coverings or something weird and they believed in the end of the world or something crazy. Uh, enough of my half-remembered spoilers. We'll just carry on. Today we're going to try and answer the question, what exactly happened on Vintiam Hill all those years ago? Mundane murder, ritual suicide freak accidents, or intergalactic assassination? <laughs> and Callum writes here, spoiler alert, 99.9% sure it's not the last one. It isn't. It definitely isn't. It's got nothing to do with aliens. It never does. Aliens are real. I do believe there are aliens out there. But they're not here messing about with our puny human affairs that they p- couldn't possibly care about. The bodies. On August the 20th, 1966, an 18-year-old from Rio de Janeiro named Jorge de Costa Alves was heading to fly his kite on Vindiem Hill. Partway up, he was hit with the stench of decay coming from a patch of weeds further up the slope. From afar, Jorge spotted two bodies lying down in the dirt side by side, so he rushed down the hill to fetch the police. It was another 24 hours before the cops could reach the corpses on account of the rough terrain and wet weather. Once they got up there, a strange scene lay before them. The corpses were of two men in their 30s, clothed in matching suits and raincoats. Next to their heads lay a pair of identical eye masks made of lead. The bodies had been lying out in the open for three days at this point, exposed to the hot, humid Brazilian weather. You can probably imagine what kind of effect that has on a dead body. Perfect preservation. <laughs> No, it's going to smell real bad. Enough that any superficial signs of physical violence would have long since disappeared. From what the coroner could determine later on, though, there was no sign that the men had been attacked. From the looks of things, these two perfectly healthy young men just lay down and died for no apparent reason. Initial findings 
The situation was already peculiar enough, and a search of their pockets turned up some rather confusing evidence. A pair of driving licenses identified the unfortunate pair as 34-year-old Miguel Jose Viana and 32-year-old Manuel Pereira de Cruz. They were TV and radio repairmen from Campos dos Goitasazes. I'm so sorry about my pronunciation on this one. They're not going to have these small places in my dictionary. So, uh, no, I, I didn't even try and look it up. <laughs> Sorry. About 200 kilometers northeast of Rio. Both men were married with kids, and they were well-liked in their community. On the face of things, there was absolutely no reason anyone would want to harm them. As for why they were up on the hill in the first place, well, that was anyone's guess. Several of their belongings offered a few cryptic clues, and it looks like we're going to get into those. Central to this mystery are the masks from which it gets its name. When the title reads Lead Masks, you might have imagined something like a welding mask or some medieval knight's helmet, but these were nothing like that, and they seemed to serve no practical purpose. I don't know what's wrong with me, but when I imagine the lead masks, I imagine one of those, like, at night, I wear a, uh, an eye mask, you know, that covers your eyes so you don't see light and you can sleep better. I just imagined a lead version of that. <laughs> I have such a boring imagination. The masks looked more like those sleep masks. I don't read these ahead. Uh, They get handed out on airlines, just without the strap around the back. They appeared homemade. Well, I imagined it with the strap around the back. Or I imagined, like, mine's just a giant thing that you wrap around your head. They appeared homemade, roughly cut from a thin sheet of pure lead. If the men had been wearing these jagged-edged blindfolds when they died, then they wouldn't have been able to see a thing, had the masks perhaps been part of some gangland execution. You'd think that they'd just use a standard piece of cloth in that case rather than pure lead. This led some to speculate that the pair were using these masks to protect their eyes from radiation. If that's the case, though, why not bother covering their mouths, face, and basically every other part of their bodies? Be like, I, I don't know, when I go to the dentist... They cover the chest and it goes down to the groin because I assume that they don't want to irradiate my boys down there (laughs) because I know they can get screwed up by radiation and then you can't have kids. So, uh, you know, pro tip, guys, not just the eyes. Industrial workers who are exposed to radioactivity tend to use far bulkier gear, which covers the entire head with eye holes for practicalities. (laughs) It's the opposite. So the flimsy Vintiem Hill masks probably weren't meant for blocking gamma rays. So what then? Oh, well, put a pin in that for now. Okay, I guess we'll return to the weird masks. I mean, of course we will. This episode's all about the weird masks. Notebook. The next clue only made things more perplexing. A small notebook found in one of the men's suit jackets. A series of strange alphanumeric sequences were written throughout. Strange is the wrong internet forums, and people will tell you that these sequences of letters and numbers contain hidden coded messages, but the far more likely and more boring theory is that they represented a shopping list of electrical parts which the men had set out to pick up for their TV and radio repair business. I feel like surely that's something we could quite easily check, isn't it? Just see if those parts correspond to actual part numbers of parts for... TVs and radios. Oh god, I, I can already see there's lots of Spanish, uh, Portuguese pronunciation coming up. Uh, okay. Wait, and there's also English translations that Callum's provided. So I'm not going to try the Portuguese pronunciations, I'm just going to move straight on to the English translations. You can imagine them as Portuguese in your head. Sounds a little bit like Spanish, doesn't it? There was one page, though, which simply defied explanation. The very last thing written in the notebooks were the words 4.30pm, be at the determined place. 6.30pm, Swallow capsules, after effect, protect metals, await signal mask. I'm not even sure if that is actually strictly English. That, what does that even mean? Swallow capsules, after effect, protect metals, await... I'm assuming we're going to get to understand this later, because right now that doesn't mean a lot. 
Now, that really did offer something to follow up on. The men had apparently swallowed some mysterious capsules on the day of their death and perhaps arranged to meet someone on top of the hill. Grammar in the last point on the mysterious itinerary was a bit sketchy. No sh**. So, uh, some have charitably rewritten it as swallow capsules. After feeling the effects, uh, protect half the face with lead masks and await the agreed signal. What was the original? Swallow capsules after effect, protect metals, await signal mask. Okay, yeah, I mean, so it's like, it's written in shorthands. If you knew what it was talking about, then you'd be like, okay. Although, I mean, it's not really a lot to remember, is it? One source claims that, according to some previous entries in the notebook, it seemed like Miguel and Manuel had uh, had also been dosing up on these capsules after meals and before bedtime in the week leading up to the incident. And apparently, some police handwriting experts determined that the schedule was not written by either of the dead men. However, I have to admit that with this case, it's extremely difficult to corroborate this and many other facts with more than one source. Oh, lead. <laughs> I don't like that the word lead and lead are the same when we're talking about a uh, spelt the same when we're talking about lead masks. These mysterious capsules were surely the best lead detectives were likely to get, which makes it absolutely astounding that they never even bothered following up on it. A toxicology examination was never run on the cadavers. Reports from the Times state that the coroner was just too busy to bother. Yeah, yeah, two young dead dudes set up on a hill in mysterious circumstances. Ah, not really the priority right now. Without any clear evidence of foul play, the police left it at that, and whatever substances which Miguel and Manuel took that day, or were forced to take, were never discovered. Some reports from the following years suggest that the bodies were later exhumed for testing, however at that point the internal organs had all but decayed entirely. Tracing their final hours so searching the scene has thrown up some question, uh, some more questions than it answered. Why were the men popping pills? Who, if anyone, were they meeting? What was the agreed signal? We could spend hours chasing our tails on these. Instead, let's follow the investigators as they build up a picture of the final hours of Miguel and Manuel. First, a detective interviewed both of their families over in the city of Campos. At 9am on Wednesday the 17th of August, they had told their wives they were heading down south to pick up some electrical components. Some reports also mentioned their intent to buy a used car. They took around 3 million Brazilian cruzeiros along with them. I have no idea how much that is. Uh, it's tough to get an exact dollar value for that amount of cash due to wild inflation at the time. Yeah, it's 3 million, unless it's worth, like, a lot of money. That's, that's mega inflation. Uh, the best estimate I've managed to find is somewhere around $1,350. can see where that inflation came from. They only had around 5% of that amount left between them when they were found. Miguel and Wemwell then reached the town of Niteroy at 2pm, stepping off the bus and into the rain. Their first stop was a clothing store near the bus station where they bought matching raincoats. This might also be where they got the pair of towels, which were later found soaked in a bag near their bodies. Some reports state that they then went to an electronics store before heading onward to a bar in central Rio de Janeiro across the Guanabara Bay. There, they bought the glass bottle of water later found next to them. Detectives were able to retrace their steps using a receipt from Miguel's pocket, which could have later been used to reclaim a deposit for the bottle. That suggests that they probably planned on descending from the hill at some point. Or, I don't know, you get deposits for things all the time, and it's just you'd stick them in your pocket and forget about them. And, I don't know, 
doesn't necessarily mean they're coming back. It sure seems they were anxious to get up there too. The waitress who sold them water mentioned that they seemed agitated. Miguel kept compulsively checking his watch over and over as if they were worried about missing something important. At 3.15 p.m., the two electronic te- technicians started their ascent. One report mentions them hitching a ride from two anonymous men in a 4x4. Whether that's true or not, we know that they made it up to their perch shortly after. The young man who would later find their bodies was a frequent visitor to the spot, and some reports claim that he spotted the two men sitting idly on the hillside at around 5 p.m. that day. He then allegedly returns the day after to find them still lying there. Assuming they were asleep, he left them alone before finally figuring it out when he returns that weekend. Right, so there's just two dudes chilling on a hill, and you come back the next day, and they're still there chilling on the hill. (laughs) They were just out there all night, and now they're just lying down. I think I'd probably go over and be like, guys? Guys, you alive? You good? Uh, I was once lying down in a field, um, I like off the side of a road. I'd been on a really intense bike ride, and I was really like absolutely shattered, like for hours. And I was just like, oh, I just got to lie down. So I just lay down, like not in a field, like in the grass by the side of the road. And a driver stops and asks me if I'm okay, and I'm like, yeah, I'm good, but thank you. Fascinating story from your life, Simon. Thanks for sharing. Why were they there? We're clearly not short on information about the circumstances of that day. Some pieces are more reliable than others, yet none of it brings us any closer to understanding why Miguel and Manuel were on Vintiem Hill. It seems neither of them were entirely forthcoming with their families and had some other objective beyond just picking up supplies. Yeah, I mean, if they're just picking up supplies, what are they doing with these lead masks on a hill with all sorts of weird sh**? As usual, where the evidence stopped, some pretty wild theorizing began. Ah, the casual criminalist. <laughs> the great, the thing we always discover. People love wild theorizing on the internet. Some speculated that Miguel and Manuel had arranged a secret meeting on the hill, perhaps to pick up some illicit goods. Depending on who you ask, and this includes even some senior investigators on the case, this could be anything from smuggled foreign electrical parts to radioactive material. True, some electrical parts were rare in Brazil at the time, leading to a thriving smuggling trade, and the two men were dedicated hobbyists known for making their own DIY machines. This might explain how they ended up dead. They had been robbed by the dealer. But what was all this about taking capsules, and why cover their eyes with those masks while some gangster off them? Yeah, it's just all a bit too weird, isn't it? If it was a simple robbery, there wouldn't be all this extra paraphernalia of weird shit around it. I I think, and I really worry that I'm spoiling this because I have a vague knowledge of this this case or this situation from when I made a video however many years ago. I think they're like, um, what's it called? Those people who believe in like aliens. Ufologists? Is that it? Not ufologists, but people who believe like, you know, that there's, that Halley's Comet is going to lift us all up to heaven. Like, um... What is wrong with my brain today? I can't remember any of the the, 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 the cults, like one of those cults. I believe they believe something weird. And that's why they're up on the hill wearing a weird mask. But I'm not sure. Definitely not sure. It's just kind of a guess. Alternatively, if they've been trying to secure some radioactive material to raise the stakes of their little engineering experiments or even selling it to criminals in Rio, then surely they would have brought some better protection. This angle was ruled out when tests of their hair follicles revealed that neither men were, neither of the men were exposed to abnormal radiation at any point. If the idea of underworld radioactive weapons deals seems outlandish, oh, we haven't even got started yet. This brings us about to the end of the sane, rational portion of this episode. It's all down the rabbit hole from here. 
The detectives on the case had already started dipping their toes into wild conspiracy theory, but now they were about to get pushed right into the deep end. That's because the more information they gathered uh, on the two men and their acquaintances, the more it became clear that they were in some really left-field stuff. Hold on to your tinfoil hats, folks, because it turned out that Miguel and Manuel probably did plan to meet someone that evening, just not someone of this world. I, I knew they were like some sort of, cons- not conspiracy theorists. Why is the right word? Nutters? Night uh, 66. Uma Odicella no Espaco. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Portuguese people. The year after the two men turned up dead on the hillside, one of their friends was arrested by the police due to inconsistencies in his statements. This was commercial pilot Elcio Gomez. He had allegedly been Manuel's assistant during some homebrew science projects, and his widow recalled that the two had a major falling out in the days leading up to the deaths. This made Gomez one of the more likely suspects, but he was ruled out when he provided an alibi. He and a group of mates were in town four hours away. However, the other information he provided during the second interrogation would end up sending the case in a wilder direction than anyone could have imagined. Gomez revealed that he and the two men were part of a secret society, along with hundreds, potentially thousands, of other electrical enthusiasts in the area. The TV repairmen are up to stuff! All of them were self-proclaimed scientific spiritualists, coming together to achieve a common goal, establishing contact with alien beings on Mars. Guys, it's not the early 1900s. We know there's not life, like, I mean, intelligent life on Mars. There's no one up there. When was this taking place? Not, not a long time ago. 1960s. We knew there was no one up there. These tech-loving UFO hunters didn't stop at telescopes and radio broadcasts. They also regularly uh, attended seances to contact the spirit realm, believing they could coax higher beings from beyond the veil of reality into revealing themselves. And yes, as you probably guessed, they really, really loved drugs. I mean, nothing wrong with that. But uh, scientific spiritualists, with the seances and stuff, you're definitely leaning more to the uh, the spiritualist side of the spectrum, aren't you there, guys? <laughs> There's not much uh, scientific about that. UFO rumors. Before we go any further into the wild world of Brazilian UFO cults, I have to issue a little disclaimer. Much of the information surrounding this case is steeped in conspiracy theories and tabloid misinformation. In fact, it's so bad that a publication entitled The Flying Saucer Review is actually the most reliable contemporary source. When that's when that's your most reliable contemporary source, we're in trouble. So, <laughs> the second most reliable contemporary source was Yahoo Answers. They published several articles on the case throughout the late 60s, which actually display a healthy amount of skepticism compared to the Ancient Aliens brand of UFO theories from today. I like that. I mean, we've everything's just become so extreme. The, like, rational UFO discussion is just not very popular anymore. It's just, it's all got to be a bit silly, doesn't it? They mostly draw evidence from various local news reports, which were themselves knee-deep in hysteria. Still, see, at this point, Brazil was in the grip of its very own UFO fever. Reports of sightings were extremely common, even from officers in the armed forces and other reputable sources. Shortly after the two technicians were found dead, one such report was filed for that evening on Vintiam Hill. A woman named Gracinda Barbosa Cotino da Souza went to the police. She told them that she had spotted a strange object floating above the hill when driving her children home that night. An oval, an orange oval with a bright fiery ring around its edges. The strange spectral light was hanging over the top of the hill. By the time her husband returned to check it out, it was gone. Once this news broke, several other local residents came forward to claim that they had seen the same phenomenon. Of course, the news had to break before they came forward because it's like, woman sees glowing orange wrecked, uh, 
sphere, whatever it was, in the sky. And so the next day, other people see a big glowing thing in the sky because they know she did. They heard about it so they can lie and be accurate. One report added that leading up to that fateful day, Miguel had told his sister that he had an important mission coming up, but it was top secret. Was this supposed to be a direct rendezvous with the creatures in the magic orange ship? If you're a true believer in all that stuff, it might open the door to all sorts of explanations for the deaths, but please chase those interdimensional space ghosts in your own time. <laughs> space ghosts. <laughs> this is the casual criminalist, not the History Channel. Thankfully. Um, although the, the History Channel's got budget. A more likely scenario is that the two men were tasked with doing some experiments up on the hill which produced the light spotted by Mrs. D'Souza. After all, Miguel and Manuel were no strangers to blowing up in their quest for alien contact. Yes, also possible. LCO told investigators to establish contact with the Great Beyond. The three of them had built a device in Miguel's backyard two months before they died. Unfortunately, it exploded before they could get any little green men on the line. Whatever your opinion on alien visitations, we at least know that the two technicians themselves were die-hard believers, so they were most likely up to something UFO-related on that hill, and some believe they might have gone to some pretty extreme lengths for their commitment to the cause. One more lead mask death. If the events on Vintiem Hill that night were an attempt to make contact with little green men, it may not have been the first attempt of this kind. In 1967, a Rio journalist claimed to have unearthed another unsolved case, which suggested that these scientific spiritualists, strongly on the spiritualists, uh, preferred elevated spots for their mad pseudoscientific experiments. Of course, because the aliens came all the way here to Earth. So getting up on top of a hill makes a real difference to them. All of those, those tens of hundreds of meters... Four years before Miguel and Manuel, a man named Hermes Luis Feitoza was found on Cruzeiro Hill about three and a half hours east of Campos. He was also an electronic technician, also found with a homemade lead mask by his side. Whatever killed Miguel and Manuel likely killed this man too. Is it possible that Miguel and Manuel may have known Hermes? It seems like they're probably in that same secret society together, right? Like all of these TV technician dudes... They're all crazy into aliens, and there's thousands of them. I mean, if they didn't know him, maybe they're part of the same club. It seems like they were pretty deep into this techno-spiritual stuff, so it's pretty likely they were part of the same group. Agreed. Gomez alleges that the two dead men maintained a secret radio communication center in their hometown, used to stay in contact with members around the country. Entirely believable. Perhaps the ritual they were undertaking that night was a common practice among members of the secret club. If so, then it's pretty likely the other dead guy had also ingested the same mysterious capsules. What might those be? Gomez revealed that psychedelics were seen as a useful tool for establishing contact with extraterrestrials, as they opened up the mind to a wider range of frequencies. Yes, something that is not backed by science in any way whatsoever. It's like, it's like deja vu. Oh, deja vu. And all of this stuff. It's like, you might believe it's something else, but it's just your brain being a bit funny. Like your brain on drugs is not your brain communicating with extraterrestrials. It's your brain on drugs. <laughs> It's all sorts of screwed up. Now, this might sound like a load of science fiction dreamed up by Elcio Gomez to throw the cops off, but detectives had already found evidence in Miguel's home workshop, which backed it all up. There they discovered a pair of metal snips and some scrap lead, which matched the thickness of the masks. On one of the shelves was a book on scientific spiritualism. It was all exactly as Elcio had described. Some highlighted passengers warned that any alien spirit summoned would give off an intense luminosity that could blind humans. A potential solution, homemade lead masks to 
shield the eyes from the angelic lights given off by our interdimensional overlords. Certainly sounds like something dreamed up after long exposure to lead dust or or all the crazy drugs they were taking. The Atafona Beach Incident as for the strange lights on the hill, LCO might have offered up a half-decent explanation. If they were caused by some experiment, it wouldn't have been the first time that Miguel and Manuel convinced bystanders that they were witnessing visitors from the stars. An article on the case written by Flying Saucer Review's Charles Bowen in 1967 delved deeper into LCO Gomez's claims, which included another explosive incident in the summer before his friends met their end. On June 13, 1966, Miguel invited him to witness their latest experiment. He and other members of their community convened on Atafona Beach out to the east of Campos. Miguel and Manuel set up their homemade instruments on the sands. I'm imagining some sort of beacon or radio transmitter. There aren't any descriptions available. Shortly after turning it on, Gomez reported witnessing an intensely luminous object descending over the ocean nearby. The strange craft then shot back upwards into the air before exploding above the sea. The blast could reportedly be felt 15 kilometers away. I mean, if that actually happened, which I don't think it did, that would be pretty intense. Flying Saucer Review claims that the Brazilian Navy and Air Force began to take interest in the experiments of Manuel and Miguel soon after, but that doesn't prove that they were legit. If you started building highly explosive devices in your garden and shooting them up into the sky, I guarantee a few government agencies would take a keen interest in your hobbies too. <laughs> it's like, what are you doing? Blowing stuff up big time explosions. Someone, someone definitely, like, who are the, the, the not the bomb, I don't know who investigates this stuff in, well, uh, Brazil. But look, wherever you are, pe people are going to come knocking. It only takes a quick uh, search of Brazilian UFO reports to reveal that this wasn't an isolated incident. In 1957, a man supposedly collected fragments of pure magnesium from a UFO which exploded over Ubatuba Beach and sent them to a journalist. Again, these claims were never verified, but it's possible the scientific spiritualists were up to this kind of stuff all around the country at the time. Perhaps their attempts at contacting E.T. Uh, were what actually caused all these sightings in the first place. Yeah, I mean, look, there's no magical, like, spaceship on the hill. It's two dudes up on the hill. It's either fake, or it's two dudes up on the hill setting off bombs. <laughs> Who have a reputation for setting off bombs. And so that, that, yeah, that's the explanation. This was a lot to take in. Suddenly, a simple murder mystery had turned into a full-blown X-Files episode. To sum it up, Miguel and Manuel were into some strange pursuits, which were surprisingly popular in Brazil at the time. Driven by a fascination for UFO sightings around the world, the country spawned a swath of homegrown encounters, a secret society of New Age spiritualists who dedicated their spare time to establishing contact. And they're also weren't they specifically like electrical engineers? It's so weird. It's a very bizarre club. As for Miguel and Manuel, it's possible that they may have met their end trying some wacky science project up on the hill while off their tits on some mysterious psychedelic. However, there was no evidence. I mean, they went out doing what they loved. However, there was no evidence behind left behind on the hill that said they had brought or deployed any kind of device. If they were to blame for the strange lights, then perhaps they launched some kind of beacon on a balloon which drifted off out of sight. Or maybe the whole thing was a hoax and there never were any lights at all. In that case, it could be that the two guys just went up on the hill to contact aliens, overdosed on some bad drugs. It happens all the time. Or, if you want a darker take on their intentions that night, then it's possible that they never intended to leave Vintian Hill at all, at least not in their physical forms. 
Some believe that the two men had planned to commit ritual suicide. Given their New Age beliefs, it's not such a stretch to add that they planned to move on to a higher state of being, shedding their physical forms by ingesting deadly chemicals. Please note, suicide by poison probably won't help you achieve transcendence. <laughs> Please don't try this at home. Yes, don't. I don't feel we need a warning there, but you know, <laughs> getting super high on drugs and killing yourself is not going to make you go over to be in like, some alien worlds. If you believe that... Uh, consult a mental health professional. I'm not joking. If you believe that, you need... Yeah, come on. The assassination. We seem very close to wrapping this one up. Chances are the deaths of Vintem Hill were either an accidental or intentional overdose as part of a New Age ritual. Certainly one of the stranger conclusions we've featured on this show, but nothing compared to the other possibilities. Yeah, the other possibilities are too insane. It's like, it's it's simple. I don't think they were murdered. It's too weird. I don't think they were, you know, obviously it's got nothing to do with aliens. I mean, it's got stuff to do with aliens and they believed. But it's just like they went up on a hill and overdosed or killed themselves on drugs. Simple. Sad. But simple. However, this case still has some legs yet. Ooh. Well, I mean, actually, yeah, I, I mean, spoiler alert. There's still many pages left in this episode, so I suppose I should have known that. Just when the skeptics of Brazil thought they had the Vintiem Kill case all figured out and the skeptics of the casual criminalist, uh, the authorities threw a spanner in the works. They had found a suspect. In 1969, a further issue of Flying Saucer Review published a follow-up on the case written by Gordon Crichton. He outlines a new official version of events greeted, uh, gleaned from newspaper clippings from Brazil. According to the newspaper Correa do Povo from February the 22nd, 1969, the cops managed to secure a confession from one of the people responsible for, for the killings. No doubt their explanation was pretty disappointing for most Flying Saucer review readers, because the policia hadn't snagged some murderous E.T. during a routine traffic stop. The killer of Miguel and Manuel was very much terrestrial. Shocking. A notorious smuggler named Hamilton Bazzani, he had earlier that year revealed to one of his relatives that he was partly to blame. The police went to interview him at a Sao Paulo prison where he was already serving a 50-year sentence for the aforementioned smuggling business. With nothing left to lose, the grizzled veteran crook told them the story from start to finish. While on the run from the law, he was holed up at a safe house in Rio. There, he was contacted by three associates, known uh, by the aliases Espanhol, Acacio, and Wilson Almiao. They offered him a hit job in Niteroi, which would pay well enough for him to, to tide him over for a few months of hiding, and he accepted. The gang then, I feel like smuggling's one thing, like, but you're now a hitman? <laughs> That's a bit more intense, although you're 50 years in prison, so I'm guessing your smuggling was fairly intense as well. The gang then rode to the town by taxi, switching to a stolen car, and then went on to a spiritualist center in the suburbs. Uh, this was where they would find their targets, by attending a seance headed by Helena, the manager of the center. This New Age ma matriarch was actually the one who hired the gang in the first place. Among those present at the event were Manuel and Miguel. Bazzani's accomplices uh, nodded as they walked through the door, the signal that they had found their targets. While waiting for Helena to set up the session, the crooks chatted with their marks to gather more information. They discovered that the two men had a lot of cash on hand. It suggested that this was the target of the gang, tipped off by their group insider, so they were intercept the men and snag the money. Flying Saucer Review quoted Wilson Alamau as saying, See, the spirit of fortune has descended, but it will shortly incarnate in other bodies. It's all very poetic for a hired killer. 
So the gang took part in the seance, then drove their targets to Moro de Ventem, perhaps on the pretense of giving them a lift. Bear Bazani watched as his companions and Helena forced Manuel Miguel out of the car and marched them up the hill. They returned half an hour later carrying the money with the two, without the two technicians. As they got back in the car, Wilson Alamal said, We've killed them both. We forced them at revolver point to ingest the poison. The reports close by revealing the spiritualist center leader Helena was already in police custody and the rest of the gang would soon follow. Finally, justice would be served in one of the country's strangest criminal cases ever. Then, well, nothing. No reports on what happened to this band of renegades, no follow-up on the trial of the woman who sold out her spiritualist disciples, just pure radio silence for decades. So what happened? Were the gang ever caught, or more importantly, did they ever exist in the first place? Gordon Crichton quite rightly speculates that perhaps none of his event, none of these events ever happened at all. It might have been a tall tale to pin a cold case on a condemned man, perhaps in return for favors in prison. That seems quite reasonable, as the case seems to just fizzle out into nothingness from here. After that brief moment of lucidity, the flying saucer review then descends into some mild lunacy. <laughs> mild lunacy. Before Crichton sides off, he leaves the opening. Uh, he leaves open the possibility that perhaps the story was true, but our alien visitors were actively enlisting the help of Earth's criminals to do their dirty work. Yes, because the aliens who travelled God knows how many light years in their spacecrafts need again our puny little human help. Uh, they don't. Of course, it all makes sense now. Miguel and Manuel accidentally blew up an advanced alien spacecraft with a ramshackle DIY device, so the relatives of those spacefaring superbeings hired a bunch of human smugglers to avenge their deaths. Cracking movie idea, but it's a no from me. If that was a movie, people would be like, it's too unbelievable. There's, there's nothing believable about it. Theories Roundup Venue's report is basically the end of the trail for this case. All that's left is to weigh up our options and choose whichever is the least mad. Got to be honest, it's a race to the bottom here. They accidentally killed themselves, or they intentionally killed themselves. That's the, the least mad. That's it. Everything else is just batshit insane. Murdered by Earthlings Let's start with the official version of events, that Miguel and Manuel were killed by Bazani, the smuggler, and his gang. I never thought I'd say this, but I'm going to have to side with Flying Saucer Review on this one and call bullshit. This is probably the first and last time this channel will side with Flying Saucer Review. Although, I mean, it seems like it was pretty legit in the 60s. If this gang of thieves really killed the men, why would they leave any money on the bodies? What about the reports from the young man who said that he saw them chilling on the hillside alone? And unless they really had just given up right away, the crime scene would have showed some signs of struggle. The same goes for any other murder-robbery theories. It seems like the police may have just been trying to neatly close a case which should have been put to bed long ago with proper toxicology tests. Ah yes, the lazy coroner. And also, like, just... If, if you don't know the answer, it's okay, police. Just don't be make up and make it up just to close it. But if they were planning on wrapping things up, it actually had the exact opposite effect. Their suspiciously slapdash version of events was pure gasoline on the conspiracy theory bonfire. Yeah, of course it is. Alien hit job, oh here we go. Which leads to our second possibility. Perhaps against all odds, these two television repairmen from Brazil had succeeded where millions of others had failed and established direct contact with alien super beings. The good thing is we have nothing to worry about if these creatures ever choose to invade Earth because Miguel and Manuel were able to take down one of their spaceships with a pile of random junk from the local electronics store. Because of course, 
The real-life War of the Worlds should have only lasted a few minutes if the Martian spaceships are that flimsy. The alien murder theory then argues that the ETs were out for blood after the duo blasted apart their mates, so they bail. So they baited them to the hilltop with the promise of another meeting. Once they had them alone, they zapped the poor guys to death. It's so ridiculous. It's not this. Please don't believe this. I'm reluctant to give this one a 0% chance, but unfortunately much of the online conversation is dominated with these ideas, so we have to cover them. Alternatives include the idea that Miguel and Manuel were accidentally killed by the otherwise otherworldly brilliance of the beings or managed to summon so-called ball lightning and were fried alive. People, you, you summon lightning? If anything, you create it. <laughs> They're not wizards, because wizards aren't real. Probably could have dodged it without those daft masks on. Uh, take from this what you will, but be aware that Flying Saucer Review wraps up its coverage by heaping praise on the efficacy of Brazilian spirit healers. Uh, so that's what we're dealing with here. Oh, Flying Saucer Review, you were going so strong, and now you're like, yeah, spirit healing. No! It's not real. I mean, it's real as far as the placebo effect is real. Radioactive deal gone wrong. One of the less wild conspiracy theories around the case involves the criminal underworld. I'm talking about the radioactive smuggler angle from before. If we entertain the idea that the two technicians may have been involved in buying or selling illegal goods, then a rendezvous gone wrong could certainly explain the missing cash. Or would it? Do we really think that you could get a hold of radioactive material on a $1.3,000 budget? My grandparents always talk about how much cheaper stuff used to be, but they've never said that you could pick up some weapons-grade plutonium and still have change from a 20. Yeah, it, it does seem a little bit light. I mean, I know it's the 1960s, so what, maybe it's 13 grand today? You're not going to get a lot of weapons-grade plutonium for 13 grand. <laughs> You'd expect that all their experience handling radioactive material would show up on the tests, but as we already know, that wasn't the case. If we toss that idea out, the possibility remains that they may have somehow involved, uh, been involved in other kinds of dodgy dealings. Perhaps they were trying to source some illicit parts for the society's experiments or raising funds by selling illegal devices. However, nobody was spotted in the company all day, and there was no evidence of a struggle. It was almost as if Manuel and Miguel had lied down in a state of pure peacefulness. Pseudoscientific Suicide Which might suggest that they had fully intended to die that day, which certainly explained the undisturbed state of the crime scene and the mystery capsules. Perhaps under the delusion that they were really making contact with spirits or aliens while off their tits on LSD, the two men believed they had been chosen. They might have been taking the aliens up on an invitation to join them on Mars or in the spirit realm or some other such nonsense. That suicide motive will sound pretty familiar to anyone familiar with cults. As for the missing money, if you were planning on shedding the mortal coil and passing over into the great beyond, wouldn't you want to splash a bit of cash first? Can't take it with you after all. Either that, or they spend the money procuring some goods for their ritual, maybe even some fatal doses of drugs to aid them in passing over. If they really did blow all their cash on a couple of capsules, then they really should have found a better dealer. Doubly so if they never actually meant for the chemicals to kill them. Plain old OD. Because for me, that's the most likely scenario of all. Given the fact that Miguel and Manuel family men and several signs pointed them planning to descend from the hill at some point, it's likely that they were attempting another one of their extraterrestrial contact sessions and accidentally died of an overdose or exposure to the elements while tripping. Just two weeks after they died, a newspaper published a statement from a self-proclaimed professor of yoga. 
Can you, I don't think you could be a professor of yoga, mate. The yoga, the guy was uh, familiar. The professor was familiar with the New Age clubs that Miguel and Manuel were supposedly were affiliated with. Uh, he confirms that spiritualists often use psychedelics like LSD and mescaline to open their minds to messages from the great beyonds. Much like the guy with glazed eyes at house parties who swears he spoke to God on acid. Uh, was it in this episode or in another one? Where I said, like, if, if you speak to God that's okay. If God speaks to you, that's not okay. <laughs> the esteemed professor believed a bad batch of drugs may have been the cause of death. That would mean Miguel's secret important mission was heading off to get fear and loathing levels of fucked up on a hillside with his best buds. <laughs> I'm on an important mission. Drugs with my friends. If so, I've actually got some top secret assignments coming up myself. <laughs> Wrap up. And that brings us to the end of our parade of possibilities. What do you reckon? Aliens? Hitmen? Dodgy drugs? Uh, I think, yeah, I'm going to go with Callum on this one. I think it's uh, not intentional, but uh, the drugs killed them. And uh, yeah, accidental overdose. I think, or maybe the drugs were bad. So in that case, just bad drugs. I think your answer will very much depend on your tolerance for conspiracy theories and ufology. Myself, I'd contest that this case is not nearly as mysterious as it's made uh, out to be. More than likely, two slightly wacky pseudoscientists OD'd while staring up at the stars. Case closed. Yeah, I mean, it's always like this, though, isn't it? Like, I don't know, because I'm so skeptical. It's like, okay, so there's actually a reasonable explanation that we're not sure about, and there's also a bunch of insane explanations that we're also not sure about. I'm just going to go with the one that's rational, that we're not sure about, just because that's how my brain works. And I think I'm correct. The enduring mystery of the lead masks of Vintiam Hill is a result of the climate surrounding it. Brazilian UFO hysteria was intense enough to rival Roswell, and all kinds of new psychedelic drugs had started flooding markets across the world. Just ask your grandparents, the 60s were mental. While proper science lagged behind in understanding the effects and applications of these drugs, pseudoscience took charge. Suddenly, copious amounts of wild new substances were added to the New Age spiritualist toolkit. In my eyes, it's likely that all of these factors combined to simply turn to turn a simple accidental death into one of the most bizarre mysteries in the annals of true crime. It's like, psychedelic drugs are a fascinating one. It's like, definitely interesting. They do all sorts of things to your brain. Uh, like making you think that you're in another dimension <laughs> or, or talking to aliens or stuff like that. But you're not. It's just your brain is extremely complicated. And when it's put on drugs, it it's the same as like deja vu. It's like it's just your brain having a little fart. It's not you actually have been to the future or you've done this thing before, even though like I know I have deja vu and I'm like, no, this time it's different. And then three seconds later, you're like, no, it's not. Why is it? Why are our brains so stupid? From all his wacky speculation, the Flying Saucer Review's Charles Bowen summed it up best in his 1968 article. By September 1966, it was virtually impossible to extract even one recognizable strand of sense, let alone a chain of evidence from the tangled skein of discoveries, revelations, theories, and accusations which enmeshed the investigation into the czar deaths of two Brazilian electronic technicians. And so we find ourselves here, over 50 years later, debating whether two radio repairmen might have been assassinated by Marvin the Martian. Remember, my friends, the truth is out there. It's just often a bit more boring than we think. Yeah, and this is the sad thing. It's like, yeah, yeah, skepticism is boring, isn't it? <laughs> no, no, there are no aliens. It wasn't aliens. It's not ghosts. No, it's just not. Dismembered appendices. Number one. 
The kinds of spiritualist beliefs we've looked at today are actually far more prevalent in Brazil than you might think. It boasts 3.8 million followers of spiritualism, more than any other country in the world. This New Age nonsense has its roots in France, but it really caught on in South America. In some cities, like Palmelo, as many as one in seven people claim to be a medium. <laughs> it's bizarre. Number 2. Here's my favorite example of how quickly wild superstitions can make a simple story spiral out of control. The Varginha UFO Incident On a rainy night in 1996 in Brazil, three young women spotted a humanoid creature with brown skin, V-shaped feet, red eyes, and in a patch of waste ground. A search for the otherworldly devil ensued. Meanwhile, two more creatures were spotted in a clinic, fueling widespread reports that the government had captured some ETs. The more likely explanation? In 2010, an inquiry ruled that the women had spotted a mud-covered homeless man, now nicknamed Marino, crouched behind a wall. The two creatures in the clinic were most likely a perfectly normal couple with dwarfism, and just like that, a conspiracy theory is born. Stay skeptical, folks. For Christ's sakes, please stay skeptical. <laughs> Yeah, like, just just keep it in check, you know? It's like, I'm not immediately going to write off, I mean, UFOs and stuff. <laughs> I, I lie, I'm like, keep an open mind, people who believe in all this crazy stuff. And here, I'm, I think my big thing is, like, I believe aliens are real. I just don't believe they're visiting us. Like, I don't believe in ghosts, but I absolutely believe there are things in the universe that we don't understand. Maybe there is a higher power, maybe there isn't. I am undecided. But I don't think it's God. I, it's just I try to, I try to stay a you know as open-minded as I can, despite being the fact that I'm very, is it right-brained, the logical one. Anyway, this has been an episode of the Casual Criminalist. I do hope you enjoyed it. A little bit of a different one today. I think as Callum said in the introduction. Uh, thank you, Callum, for writing it. Thank you to Jen, who adds all the great stuff afterwards, the graphics, the music, all of that stuff. If you are speaking of graphics, if you're just listening to this as a podcast, we also have it as YouTube on a show. I am here staring into the camera right now uh and also if you're listening on youtube and you would like this without youtube ads you can get it as a podcast and just listen to it on the move which is uh also grand thank you and uh leave a review if you can leave a thumbs up if you're on youtube a comment all of that good stuff subscribe of course and thanks for watching